everybody. Uh, Tina Desiree Berg here reporting for Status Quo News. It's Friday, August 11th. And because it's Friday, that means it's time for some right wing insanity report. How, how's everybody doing this afternoon? We've been having really hot weather here in Los Angeles. It's humid. So uh, just kind of staying hot here in the studio. I have a very special guest today. So this week is the uh, sixth year, believe it or not, anniversary of Charlottesville. So we're going to talk about that and a handful of other things that are going on. So welcome to the show, friend of the show, Daryl Lamont Jenkins. Uh, you've had, you've met Dale before on the show. You've seen his work elsewhere. He's with One People's Project. Um, he's been keeping tabs on white supremacists now for well over a decade, probably two decades, actually. Uh, so welcome, Daryl. How, how are you doing there on the East Coast? <laughs> Three decades. Three. <laughs> <laughs> Three decades. There you go. Since 1987. 1987. That is, I, okay, just true story. That is the year I graduated from high school. <laughs> 87 was a good year. Yep, there it is. There's that uh, There's that gray hair that just popped in. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, normally I feel like I'm the older person on the show. So for one No, once, not I, anymore. Not I anymore. just turned 55 about three weeks, two weeks ago. So I'm right behind you. I'm close. I'm close. Um, not if you graduated in 87. I was young when I graduated. I was one right, of those no, wait, weirdos. Graduate, oh, no, time out. You graduated in 87? From high school, yeah. Okay, all right. I'm cool. Not college. I'm cool. I'm cool. You're cool. <laughs> right. okay. yeah, that, that, it fell out. It fell out. Because I graduated in 86. Ah, okay. One year. I, all I right. graduated in 86. So, you know, I, I was a young one when I started this anti-fascist biz. Which is so. good. <laughs> And here we still are with with white supremacists surrounding us. Um, I wanted to start the show talking about, though, one thing. Um, Andy No this week, he lost his lawsuit um, against Rose City and Antifa. So he was suing them for a whole bunch of things, uh, basically placing blame for the assault that happened against him at a protest. Um, the previous week, he had been with other right-wing extremists, Joey Gibson, others from Patriot Fair, Patriot um uh, prayer, sorry, couldn't prayer, get that out. Prayer, yeah. And they had been planning an assault against um, some activists. They showed up at uh, Cider Ride, which is the name of a pub there in Portland, and and mayhem ensued. Uh, one of the right wingers hit a girl on the back and broke her vertebrae. So it was a bad situation. Clavicle. 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 Thank you. Clavicle. Okay. So what are your thoughts on this? I think we should just mention this um, because this is kind of a big deal that Andy No lost. Well, but to be perfectly honest with you, it's, it's actually a good thing that he filed this lawsuit. No one thought that he was going to win it, but he he lives for the grift, unfortunately. And it finally it, it helped us reinforce that. Yeah. And because when you take a look at what Andy knows, doing, he doesn't do anything based on facts, really. No. Um, but when you talk about his. Uh, his little lawsuit with Rose City Antifa. The judge took them off the, I think it was the judge that took Rose City Antifa off the case. They yeah, originally, you're right. Originally he had named, um, it ended up being against, I believe five defendants, but originally he had meant, he had literally named Rose, uh, Rose City Antifa and then also 50 John Doe anti-fascist members, like whatever that means. So you're correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, truly. I mean, it's like, there's no sense in even trying to, um, take Andy no seriously, but he gives people, um, he gives the right a lot of, you know, can a lot of something can to talk matter. about, make yeah. him sound like relevant. It goes back to who I was talking about, this um guy who pretends to be Antifa, who says that he um, is writing books 
based on his time in Antifa, and there's actually nothing in it. There's to be real, right? So it's like, and then you look and find out he's working with groups like the Leadership Institute and stuff. It's like, okay, really? He's you're working with yeah. you're working with the group that actually gave us the alt right. Okay, right. thank you, chump. <laughs> exactly. So it's all a big grip. These guys actually fundraise off it. You know, what makes mm -hmm. Andy no particularly dangerous, though, as far as I'm concerned, is that some people view uh, view him as a legitimate journalist, even well, though he's been caught lying and, and well, telling half-truths a million times over. Well, that's, that's always what's going to make any of these clowns dangerous. I mean, truth be told, that was the reason why it was really important for him to file this um, lawsuit. And people can see that he lost. Yeah. People can see that he really didn't have a leg to stand on. Right. If he did, he would have gotten those people he accused arrested. Right. Right. Arrested. That didn't happen. I had an argument with some clown on um on um Twitter the other day about it says, so what you're trying to tell me is that the police responded to a guy who was beaten up by people they hate <laughs> and was chased into a hotel room hotel with those people apparently threatening them from outside and the and and the police was just like and eh, it's not big enough for us to care about right right you know, right think you're gonna make that argument that's yeah. just as stupid as trying to say that patriot front is fbi right <laughs> that's no reason the comments <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, speaking of Patriot Front, they are also, they just filed a lawsuit this week against an anti-fascist researcher that uh, infiltrated their group and is responsible for the unicorn riot leaks of their rocket chat and some other files. So basically, they're trying to make the case that he garnered his way into their organization based on lies, i.e. saying, I'm one of you, I'm a Nazi like you, I share your beliefs. They let him in, they gave him membership, access to their computer. I don't think this case is going to go anywhere, personally, because... Anyway, but they did they did file it and they use their actual names. Um, I also want to mention the attorney that is handling the Patriot Front case, um, I think might have a personal axe to grind because basically he sued the Southern Poverty Law Center for something similar. If you think way back, he had been an attorney in Baltimore um, defending the city of Baltimore Police Department, believe it or not, in some cases when it came out that he was a Nazi. Um, so he turned around and sued the Southern Poverty Law Center. The judge dismissed the case because there was no merit to it. But, you know, here's a guy that is the, you know, making trying. If you read the opening of the lawsuit, he's going on and on about First Amendment rights. And, you know, I'm reading this and I'm saying, hmm. The First Amendment is a pact between you and the government, not between two individual parties. I'm not sure how you can make the case as these Patriot Front members are losing any sort of First Amendment rights. Uh, but we'll see where that goes, I guess. Well, honestly, I mean, let's be let's be fair. Um, we do look at First Amendment rights as being a thing where everyone is allowed to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Without consequence. And no one. And no, <laughs> well, I'm not going to say without consequence. Because, yeah, but know, they want that. That's exactly what they, they want, want, right, Carol? Yeah. They want that. The problem is, I mean, whether or not you're the government, you're supposed to be respecting the free speech of others. Having said that, that means they're going to have to respect us. Right. And there is no way that they can win this case. No um, legal scholar is looking at this case saying that um, that they have a leg to stand on whatsoever. Plus, um, it, were they to prevail, you're talking about... A, a lot of um, things crumbling. Never yeah. mind Antifa won't be able to um, dox them or anything like that. 
you're talking about things ranging from newspapers, I mean, media to right. their so-called citizen journalists like James O'Keefe to um, yeah. whistleblowers. No one will be able to tell anything about anyone that they find out about. So, right. um, I mean, you can't tell because they because they deem it to be private. If it is something that leaks, that's the way it goes. The only, the, ironically, the only people that can get away with that kind of crap is the government. You know, right? You I mean, James, security secrets. That's right, James. <laughs> you're not wrong. James O'Keefe used some of the same tactics to infiltrate groups. Yes. Right? So, I mean, I mean, so, so everything will fall goes. apart. Everything will fall apart. They will actually stifle free speech with their right. lawsuit, and there is no way in hell. There'll right. be um that's going to be allowed. Well, no free way. speech is for me, but not for thee. That's how these guys see that. Uh, you know, no, it'll be taken away from them too. They just don't see it. They don't see it. That's exactly yeah. right. I agree with you there. That's just the way it goes. We'll be we'll be some suing MFs if we was to um if they were to prevail because we'll just go buck wild going after all of these clowns. And right, and then it'll right. just be a back and forth, and then somebody's gonna have to um um pass some legislation saying okay uh knock it off or whatever i mean but by that time the damage would be done no one's playing this game no and if one. some and, and but you know the political climate being as it is as it is i guess i should say that if somebody does play this game we're all going to lose it in many respects we're going to lose it more than the folks in montgomery on them knuckleheads who thought they can try it in a small town right <laughs> Free speech is for everybody, right? So either you accept the people you disagree with or you don't, uh, but they exactly. just, they don't want the consequences of their hateful, you know, behavior, their hateful thoughts, the things they do. They just don't want there to be consequences for that. That's what's at base. No, they don't. Um, so I want to shift gears. I was actually going to talk about this at, at, at the start of the show, but because um, these two things were pending, I did want to make sure we got them into the show today. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, I want to talk about her for a second. Um, she seemed to be agreeing with some guy that was talking about treason in an audience and deciding that Democrats need to, you know, be executed for being Democrats because they're just treasonous. It's some crazy stuff. I want to play this video clip and, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. And I want to, oh, yes, sir. I'm going to do one more. Yes, sir. Uh, what is a penalty for treason? Okay. We know treason has been deleted and nobody having an answer for it. Something has got to be done. Right. It's treason. Our country, our constitution has been stomped under the city. Yep. It's written according to the Bible. Like you said, we've got to get prayers for the country. Yeah. We've got to be, people have got to be tried for treason. Well, I think we're ending on a right note. <laughs> Listen, thank you guys for sticking around. I appreciate you coming. Thank you. Thank you very much. So basically, he's saying they should be tried for treason because of all these terrible things that they're doing. Um, and then somebody chimes in, yes, give them the death penalty. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is like, yeah, sounds like a plan to me. Great note. Yay. I yeah, but, but, but compared to other things that Marjorie Taylor Greene has said in the past, this is tame. That's um, fair. That really... Um, if you're gonna go after her for this, why don't we just go after her for openly declaring that we need to have a national divorce, AKA secession. I mean, right. she is a sitting member of Congress and she is calling 
for the dismantling of the United States, which she America, took an yeah. oath to uphold and defend. Um, if you're not getting rid of her for that, then you're definitely not going to get rid of her right for, for really not actually saying that it's okay to kill the president. Right. She didn't really say it, but but here's my thing about it. If we are, Marjorie Taylor Greene has said a lot of things and been about a lot of things that makes us all wonder, really, why is she still there? Why are we yeah. always waiting for her vote, her um, constituents to vote her out when they obviously don't want to do that? Why do we have to keep playing this game year after year with a woman who has done nothing but say provocative things, but hasn't done anything? Right. Really hasn't so, done anything. Really hasn't put in any work when she was right. in while she's been in Congress these past two some odd year, two or three years. Right. There is a point where you I mean, you listen to Democrats ratcheting it up the the whole. Sh trying to shame people into voting for them next year. Right, right. There's that too. All the things that they should have been doing that they said they were going to do, but all they do is give us excuses as right. why they can't do anything. It was, oh, we don't have, um, we, we don't have control of, con of the House right now. Oh, we have control of the Senate, but we have two senators on the Democratic <laughs> side that are that voting with the Republicans. The works. Yeah. Um, you need to vote for us more so that we continue to um so that we can continue to lie. I mean, uh, <laughs> continue to not do something because yeah. there'll be some other reason why. You know, we have to come to a point where we have to. We always said we were going to put the Democrats' feet to the fire. We always said we we're going right. to put those we elect to the fire, their feet to the fire, and. If you're not stopping people who are openly calling from succession from right. being elected officials, you're not good enough to do the job. You're not the persons we need for the job. So if somebody goes third party on your ass, that's the way it goes. We want yeah. people who are going to do the job. There actually is no excuse for Marjorie Taylor Greene to be in um to be in office. If they can expel the Tennessee three or actually right. <laughs> I mean, right. Tennessee for actually promoting free speech right. in, a, in a state that doesn't like it when we use it, um, then most certainly Joe Biden has all the power in the world to start removing people who are threatening our, um, threatening yeah. our society, threatening our You're not wrong. I mean, the impeachment still exists, but they never seem to use it. You're right. So the Democrats don't have a backbone, but they're going to complain. You're right. If people start voting for Dr. Cornell West, for example, they're mm -hmm. going to vote shame people for that. Although, yeah. you, but, well, but, I'm, I'm just saying bottom line is uh, whomever we vote for. I mean, whether it's right. Cornell West or or just some cat who makes $40,000 a year. If we yeah. can find people who can do better, who we feel we can do better, we need to vote for them, yeah. you know? Regardless I of whether you. or not the Democrats like it. If the Democrats aren't gonna put in the work, remove them and find somebody who does. And then there's also the fact that they, you do have Democrats that are probably trying to put in the work but that upper hierarchy keeps on trying to yeah. slam them back down. Right, right. So, so, what do we, so, so, so the only other thing that we have to look at is that we have a corrupt political system. So we also have to build things that are outside the political system. We have to build new institutions. We have to build the institutions that respond 
to um respond to what it is we um we are concerned about it. and right. in the case of marjorie taylor green unfortunately it's in that area but um but there's other things there's yeah. other things that we can work on we can make sure that we have um um proper education when um the democrats are too scared to keep libraries from staying open right there's another thing where's the pushback against all of the you know How? banning of books and whatnot How? Yeah in the world does right. anyone we get lectured all the time about defend about defending free speech we just had we're having a conversation about that now right. the one thing the one thing that we always look towards as i guess a barometer as to where a free society is is whether or not we don't ban or burn books right. and we are letting that happen right <laughs> From 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 people that say they're they're free speech absolutists on top of it, right? DeSantis is like, I'm my freedom. I'm all about the First Amendment and free speech. Yet here he is banning a ton of books. Well, let's be of- honest. Let's be honest. More often than not, those who champion or call themselves champions of free speech and are basically activists for free speech are not exactly activists for free no. speech. Activists for a right <laughs> wing. Right. The activists for a right wing that wants right. to try to use their freedom of speech to undermine ours. Moment That's we right. get to use moment we try to use ours, they'll have every excuse yeah. in the world why we shouldn't. Or they'll yeah. just simply try to keep us from um, being heard. Yeah, you know? no, you're not wrong. I mean, you're Bill not Maul wrong. calls himself a champion for free speech. That's why he had Miley Annapolis on the show. He's never had Colin yeah. Kaepernick on the show. Right. He made, and I think, I don't know if we talked about this before, but um, uh, the, the the aforementioned Tennessee Three, he yeah. went the route of, um, he first didn't want to talk, first didn't mention it in his main show when that, when that issue was when it happened. Yeah. But he talked about it on his overtime show that you can still see on YouTube. And what did he do? Say they didn't follow the rules. That is always the the thing that says, no, you're not actually defending free speech. No. And we will talk about how the guy, and I I hate Bill Maher, basically, but he we will talk about he would defend the guy from Mumford and Sons who would who who, um who got called out for promoting Andy Noah's book and said that. We are in a country where we can read whatever the bleep we want. But you would think he would then transfer that to the conservatives who are out there banning books and start slamming them as well. Didn't even talk about it. Didn't even mention them. No, I know. It's crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a fan of Bill Maher. I feel you there. He's very No, no. And it's a a heartbreak sometimes because a lot of people thought that he was on the... um, on the right side of things, but no, he's a libertarian, and libertarians have a habit of breaking your heart. Yeah, because yeah. they're liars about. It's true. Every now and then they do or say something that's great, but you know, a clock, a broken clock's right twice. Yeah, it's a day, always right a up. broken clock thing. Exactly right. Um, I wanted to talk about a guy that has been making headlines this week. Um, Richard Hana, Hanani Hanania. I can't never mm-hmm. pronounce his name correctly. So he has a book deal with Harper's Collins that's supposed to be coming out on woke culture, whatnot. He's been promoted by uh, the founder of Substack as being an intellectual. He has been garnering followers all over Twitter. I thought that he's had some incredibly racist tweets. But, you know, people sort of had defended him as being like an edgelord previous to now. But now what's come out, I want to pull this up. 
um, Huffington Post, Christopher Mathias that covers uh, right-wing extremism and the right for Huffington Post did this fantastic expose on him this week. He basically figured out that he had some alt accounts that he had been doing pen writing under on literal neo-Nazi websites, the Occidental Observer, um, Stormfront, like a bunch of them is insane. So I'm not sure if the book deal has gone away. Um, I do know that the Substack guys have been defending him. And, you know, he's come out now and said, I, I went through this extremist phase. That's not who I am anymore. I don't buy it based on his still very racist uh, viewpoints. You know, he's been putting forth white genocide as a thing. Um, obviously, you know, cultural Marxism and this sort of thing. It, it's the typical race realism, the typical things you see from soft, soft shoe neo-Nazis. I do want to go through some of this article and get your commentary on some of this, though. Um, he is also promoted um, and loved by a lot of the ANCAPs in Silicon Valley, right? So Peter Thiel, um, Elon Musk, of course, is a big fan and whatnot. So he definitely has a platform and a voice. Um, we'll see if he gets taken down from this. But OK, so a prominent conservative rioter lionized by Silicon Valley billionaires and a U.S. senator, used a pen name for years to write for white supremacist publications and has a formative voice during the rise of the uh, racist alt-right, according to a new HuffPost investigation. Richard Hanan Hanania, a visiting scholar of the University of Texas, used the pen name Richard Host in the 2010s to write articles where he identified himself as a race realist. Uh, so just really quickly, I just want to say race realists, these are guys that think biodeterminism is a real thing, meaning that um, IQ is hardwired to your race, just to give some background on that. Um, he expressed support for eugenics and the forced sterilization of low IQ people who he argued were most often black. He opposed miscegenation and race mixing. That means, you know, different people from different races getting together and having babies, God forbid. And once in a while, arguing that black people cannot govern themselves, he cited the neo-Nazi author of the Turner Diaries, the infamous novel that celebrates a future race war. The Turner Diaries is what um, Timothy McVeigh was handing out down in Waco, Texas, before he did the bombing. It's also where the meme about Day of the Rope comes from. At the end of the book, you basically have uh, a Day of the Rope where you hang everybody that's not part of the white nationalist, um, you know, Aryan race. A decade later, writing under his real name, Hanania has ensconced himself in the national mainstream media, writing op-eds in the country's biggest papers, bending the ears of some of the world's wealthiest men, and lecturing at prestigious universities, all while keeping his past white supremacist writings under wrap. HuffPost connected Han Hanania to his Richard Huss persona by analyzing leaked data from an online comment hosting service that showed him using three of his email addresses to create usernames on a white supremacist site. A racist blog maintained by Host was also registered to an address in Hanania's hometown, and HuffPost found biographical information shared by Host that aligned with Hanania's own life. Um, let me scroll down here for a second. Hanania did not respond to multiple uh, requests for comment on the story made via phone, email, and direct messages on social media. On Sundays, two days after the story was published, he posted an essay to Substack and confirming HuffPost reporting. Recently, it's been revealed that over a decade ago, I held many beliefs that as my current writing makes clear, I now find repulsive. No, 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 Richard. Your current writing does not make it clear that you find those beliefs repulsive whatsoever. They I just, <laughs> exactly, they're just more um, softer under, you know, changed to softer dialogue, but his, his viewpoint's pretty clear. 
The 37-year-old has been published by, wait for it, this is where it gets insane, the New York Times and the Washington Post. I kid you not. He delivered a lecture to the Yale Federalist Society and was interviewed by the Harvard College Economics Review. He appeared twice on Tucker Carlson Tonight, of course, uh, Fox News former primetime juggernaut. He was a recent guest on a podcast hosted by the chief writing officer of Substack, the $650 million publishing platform, where Hanania was uh, has nearly 20,000 uh, subscribers. Uh, Daryl, what is your take on this? This is a crazy story. Like I said before, I mean, we have a really weird, um, p- the political climate that is such that people like Hania um, is allowed in. So, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, shout out to Christopher Mathias because yeah. um, yeah, I mean, six years ago, guess where we were <laughs> at the, right. this weekend. Um and he definitely does a hell of a lot of good work exposing a lot of these scumbags and it's really important reporters like him are damned important um but having said that there's also the matter of we know that these guys are really hiding in plain sight in many respects and it comes to um it comes to a point where what are we going to do about it and i think it all goes back to going after not only those characters, because they do need to get bounced out of any kind of um, respectable um, platforms. Right. Um, But also, we got to start asking um, people, um, why are you supporting them? We got to start calling out their supporters because um, I can understand it if you didn't know what he was about. But even in the stuff that he was writing under... um, writing under the pen name, um, writing in the mainstream, it was obvious what he was about. Yeah, I think so. I think um, it was. We should have to be um, like jumping through hoops to prove that somebody is racist when the person is actually just telling us anyway. I mean, that brings, um, incidentally, that brings me to um, Barry Weiss, Um, another one of those um, free speech um, um, fighters, I mean, who aren't really about free speech, but about pushing um, racist ideas, you know. Um, she was, um, she, she invited him, um, as a speaker for the university of Austin. Um, oh, not surprised by that. And she wrote this. She, um, I'm, I'm looking at this right now. She, um, she wrote Richard Hania has no affi- affiliation with UATX. He was invited once as a speaker. Like many other institutions, we were completely unaware of a pseudonymous racist writings. Had we known, we would not have invited him. A spokesperson, mm-hmm. hello, Ulfik, told um, Semaphore, which is the um, where I got this from. Had you known, um, you guys are out there trying to um, defend, uh, you know, like the woman who, remember the woman in Central Park who tried to accuse a black man for um her name is Casey Cooper, I believe. Yeah, the she uh, has, has a whole um video trying to defend her, you know. <laughs> I mean, she defends wow. these idiots all the time. Yeah. Barry Weiss is a mess. I, I just Barry said that, Weiss yes. is a complete mess, and this is the perfect example of that because yeah. quite frankly, yes, you would have invited him if you knew that. Because that's your kind of thing where you say right. you're inviting them in the name of um 
express uh, allowing diverse views to be expressed. Right. It's just it's just the, you know the marketplace of ideas. We're just asking yeah. questions. But when Come they get now. in trouble, when it's embarrassing, it's all stuff we would have never invited them. Well, why not? I mean, you, nothing ever stopped you before. Right. Right. I mean, What's if you go through his now. Exactly. If you go through his Twitter, his recent Twitter history, I'm talking the last two years, you'll see plenty of tweets where he argues for race realist ideas, right? Where he also argues that crime rates are supportive of jailing more black folks versus white folks. Like it mm -hmm. dripping with racism. Anybody with any sort of amount of respectability, if they read that, should not be saying, yeah, let's put this guy in the New York Times. I mean, this is an affront to the New York Times. But then again, look at the New York Times lately. They've been doing a lot of this sort of thing. Uh, I I think it's crazy. And I will so say now, uh, could I say something? Because I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the comments and I want to respond to Nadia Yvette Chambers who says, what oh. can we do about it? The ones with all the money and all the power are behind them. 100 billion of us wouldn't be enough to make a difference in the face of that wrong answer. Because they, one, they don't have all the money. And two, they also don't have all the momentum. People are going to do something about it. definitely a hundred billion people. We know how to handle this. You want you, you're talking about them having all the money? Stop giving them the money. Right. They get their money from us. You know, they're not. I mean, not all of them are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Um, Elon Musk got his. Look at how Elon Musk got his money. Yes, he got. He, he grew up with it. Yes. Stop buying Teslas or stop uh, whenever you see a Tesla industry. I mean, come on. I know some I know some progressive people who have Teslas. I do, you know? too. It's that simple. I, I mean, so if we stop giving, I mean, the Koch brothers even. I mean, look at all the things that they have. Why do you need Spotify? Why do you need Amazon? You know, why do you need pay? Well, PayPal doesn't own by Peter Thiel anymore, but still. Not anymore, but still. I mean, Peter Thiel, I think, has given this guy a bunch of money, too. You know, Peter Thiel's kind of a, a mess. Um, yeah, Peter Thiel has been a mess for a very long time. No one, I mean, I can guarantee I have absolutely no money. But that doesn't mean that I have not been effective. Right. If I had more people behind me... That would make all the difference. If I had that 100 billion people working with me in this office, well, it would be a pretty crowded office, but still, nothing they do can stop us from stopping them. Nothing. No matter how much money. It's so funny because it goes back to that whole Godfather 2 line when he was watching the Cuban Revolution going down when, um, when um, oh, what is this? I mean, Corey Long saw, uh, Michael Corey Long saw that. Cuban Revolution going on, and he was and he was looking at how the um, the ruling class was was pretty much defended by monarch by uh, mercenaries and such, and a paid army. And the people in the street they were fighting were folks that um, that just simply had felt they had to fight them. And what did that mean to Michael Corleone? They would win. Yes, right. it's a movie, but yes, it's true. Keep that in. That's the true. I mean, mind. <laughs> The neat, the, you know, it's the idea that there's the 99%, right? That still holds true, but it it's going to take a monumental amount of effort to get everybody together on the same page. But once that happens, I do think people would be unstoppable. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. And to, and to Freedom House's 1984 <laughs> comment about how they need Amazon because otherwise my business shuts down, it would be the equivalent of saying, why do you need YouTube? You don't need YouTube. Create new platforms. You don't need Amazon. Sometimes you can go straight to the business itself and purchase things, you know? And and listen, my movie, Skin, is on Amazon Prime. 
I mean, Which, I hi, hang on. I highly recommend that movie. I watched it. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, but it's also one of the few places you can go and see it. You can also see it right. on YouTube. But the thing okay. is, we can create new platforms. We're learning how to do that after right. what Elon Musk is doing to Twitter. So just right. the internet is a vast realm of opportunity for all of us. We just got to just put our time and effort in. Right. It doesn't necessarily make money. It doesn't actually cost money to be the biggest thing on the planet. Right. Believe it or not. <laughs> no, I think that's definitely true. Um, I wanted to look at some of his old tweets you know, like some of the people that they have embedded in this article. Can we go back to the article one second? Um, yeah, go Colin? back. Oh, okay. I thought Let you were talking to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, um, I want to go. Where did we pick up off? We don't need to read all that middle. It's a very, very long article. Um, I recommend folks go and um, take a whole look at this thing when it's. Oh, all right. So um, halfway about down, Host said he would be rooting for Palin. Let's pick it up there. Um Haas said he would be rooting for Palin in 2012 election just so I can watch liberals' heads explode after the goddess of implicit whiteness <laughs> beats them President Barack Obama. If it's going to be a long time until it's if it's going to be a long time until we have a white awakening, we may as well be entertained while we wait. According to Haas collected writings at the time, it appears that a white awakening, he was referring to a realization by whites in mass that they are superior to, no, to non-whites and that they'd be better off abandoning multiracial democracy for something resembling a whites-only ethnostate. Haas' arguments for a whiter America in Europe most often relied on the false claim that white people possess a superior intelligence, while an increasing Muslim underclass might not inspire as much bad art, the IQ and genetic differences between them and Native Europeans are real and assimilation is impossible. He wrote in a 2009 piece for the Occidental Observer. I want to talk about this for a second, Daryl. Um, you know, I did, some people know this, some people don't. I did my master's thesis on uh, against race realism, against race science. And uh, this is like in 2009, this is, part of my French, but this is not, this is in fucking inexcusable from a scientific. Oh, on the show. Okay, from cool. a scientific. Oh, yes, we could <laughs> totally cuss on this show. And 2009, we have already decoded the human genome. We know that there's no salient differences. We're all the same. The 15% admixture base is based on isolated breeding populations, which have absolutely nothing to do with race. That's these are just scientific facts. So any of these guys still barking about, and, and especially if they work in academics, barking about race realism in 2009, <clears throat> party me, I'm getting so angry, I'm getting the frog in my throat. You're basically showing the world that you're ignorant. Yes, um, they are. And there is no there is no genetic structure that would kind of tie together intellect with phenotypical superficial traits like skin color. It just doesn't exist. This is a stupid fucking argument. Um, and anybody that has an interest, I will want to give a shout out to Stephen J. Stephen J. Gould, who wrote this great book back in 1996 um, against biodeterminism. It's an older book before we decoded the genome, but it's a beautiful book. Pick it up. It's called The Mismeasure of Man. But I, I just, I can't understand why in 2009, somebody in, in any sort of an intellectual circle would be respected for making these arguments. They're just, they're just dead in the water. I understand that. But to see, the thing is, before you start trying to um, debate them on um, the merits 
of that um of their argument you have to ask yourself if there really are merits to that argument no there're none uh, <laughs> i mean remember there are none. a lot of this a lot of whenever you start hearing people talk about eugenics of there's no scientific yeah. basis on that no. and i mean it it really ultimately amounts to a bunch of people trying to maintain their political hold on um on a certain segment of society. That's the only reason why eugenics exists, which sucks because I find out that Nikola Tesla was um, was a proponent of eugenics. Yeah. And he's one of my heroes until you read that crap. And it's like, yeah. oh man. Right. It's really I, disappointing how many philosophers I work in Baltimore, New Jersey, where he had his lab. And oh, okay. Like, I didn't know that. There's a bus dedicated to him, and you oh, and man. you find that out about him. It's like, come on, Tesla. You're one of the smartest people on the planet. Or we're one of the smartest people on the planet. I would think you would know better than to fall into that crap. But you know, you would think it is what it is. They never do. Like, I mean, there's so many philosophers. Like David Hume would be a prime example, right? I mean, he's the father of empiricism, and yet he made these ridiculous arguments as well. Like every now and then, you're just like, oh, okay, they contributed something great to society, but they were bad people. Maybe you know. Sometimes we have hey, to. Hey, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, but damn, it's what still you can disappointing. Get out of it and leave the rest there. That's all you can do. Exactly, exactly. Um, Hispanic people. He wrote in a 2010 article in Countercurrents. This is also a, sort of a neo-Nazi adjacent publication. Don't have the requisite IQ to be productive part of a first-world nation. Are you kidding me right now? He then made an argument for ethnic cleansing, writing that the ultimate goal should be. <clears throat> to get all of the post-1965 nine white migrants from Latin America to leave. This is straight out of John Tanton, as far as I'm concerned. Um, if we want to defend our liberty and property, a low IQ group of different race, of a different race sharing the same land is a permanent antagonist, he wrote. Uh, so, I mean, we get the point here. Got to talk about that right there. That line yeah. right there was important because while we're sitting up here being shocked at the... Um, at, at that kind of language yeah. that used to be mainstream conservatism i know which is scary and um and t technically it still is as we can tell from this character but <laughs> it, it reminded me from reminded me of the fact that there used to be a guy out there named russell kirk if you want to know where conservatism was in the 50s and 60s you go to who was a part of national review when they started that magazine. For those who yeah. don't know, the National Review was the conservative magazine of note that was founded by William right. F. Buckley. One of the writers, um, one of the founding writers of that magazine was a dude named Russell Kirk. And Russell Kirk, um, much like everybody else at the National Review was very much so against integration, Southern integration. And they were, and he was especially, he was concerned about um, integration in the South, especially voting rights in the South, for example. And, but he was especially concerned about um, voting rights in South Africa for black people. And he pretty much used what Hania paraphrased in, um, in his little article about how this low IQ Group, um, he didn't say low IQ, but um, he said it could mean the end of civilization, what have you. But he kind of like, because when I read it, it was pretty much 
Okay, that's what Russell Kirk said. And the reason why I bring up Russell Kirk is because at the Moms for Liberty conference back in June, yeah, the head of the Heritage Foundation was talking, was promoting a book that Russell Kirk wrote. <laughs> and it was called The Roots of wow. the American Order. And this thing was, a, I mean, when he brought up Russell Kirk in the first place, I was like, wow. oh, no. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now they keep like trying to revive these old race realists from like, you know, next they're going to be measuring skulls for fuck's sake. I mean, it's just like, my God. They, um, they're close to it. I mean, <laughs> you talk about... <laughs> Like I'm I mean, making a joke, but you're right; they're close. Jared to Taylor bases his um, I, um, his um, ideas of eugenics on that on skull size. He's done that. Oh my God. I Jared just... Taylor, the editor of American Renaissance, right? Which we're going to talk about next because he's having his conference this weekend. These yes. guys are just—I mean, they, sixth they anniversary can't... of Charlottesville, and six, they decide yeah. to hold the conference the same weekend, which is curious because that is curious. Two weeks before Charlottesville, their organizers were at that conference promoting it. It's actually, right. um, and actually, because um, everybody's, I was talking about Alt-Right Age of Rage, um, the old yeah. doc the documentary that I'm in. Um, also a good one I highly recommend for folks if they haven't seen it. Yes. And in it, you'll see that comp that particular conference and you see Richard Spencer hyping up the um, Charlottesville, um, the Charlottesville rally two weeks, two wow. weeks before Charlottesville happened. This is the kind of element that you're going to see at American Renaissance. You don't see a lot of opposition, unfortunately, because um, they pretty much found themselves a safe space, but that's got to change yeah. at some point. There will be opposition there this year. Do not oh, good. Last, yeah, last year we was a small the, group, right? Last really time small. it was a small group of us versus yeah. a small group of Proud Boys who had never been at this conference. That's, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And, that's um, right. They so were there on the... Uh, Tennessee. Uh, it's in Tennessee again, I'm assuming. Yes, it's in Tennessee. It's at the Montgomery Bell Park. Um, they're going to have a lot of cops defending them and whatnot. I think um, what we're going to have to do to really cause this conference grief, I mean, the conference is on, on and it's been going on annually. I think what we're yeah. going to have to do is just basically cause grief to everybody that has gone to that conference and make sure that um, it's detrimental to their future, should right. they ever should they ever be seen at this thing and by the way if you hear about any international folks flying in to participate in this conference we got to put them on a list so that they are no longer allowed to enter this country to be a part of that mm. we got to start making we got to start making causes we don't want fascism imported yeah. sorry and if uh, and if you don't like it you must be a fascist too i don't care so um we basically should just call. Um, we basically need to start calling our state departments and say, "Hey, look, we got some people who are coming into this country, trying to ratchet up animosity and division amongst yeah. us. They themselves are criminals in their own countries." Because that's yeah, the case. more than likely, yes, yeah. Because that's the case in a couple of them, right? Um, and we don't need them here. Right. Don't let them in. So that should be the real. If they, if people want us to protect our borders, okay, okay. We'll do it. Right. <laughs> Wait, they only want to protect the borders when it comes to brown immigrants. Come on, you know this, Daryl. <laughs> They're such hypocrites, these guys. Like they don't apply any rule universally. And it, they think that they're, you know, that they're so transparent when we can all see exactly who they are. I mean, they think that you the know? rules should be different for themselves. I mean, that's one of the Oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. 
I can't get over how people are trying to say that um, the guy who threatened to um, kill Joe Biden in Utah, people are basically saying that, oh, well, the cops just gunned him down in his sleep. Okay, where have we heard that one before? Um, I'm going to go with the Panthers in Chicago. Oh, no, I was thinking more on the lines of Breonna Taylor. Oh yeah, okay. I was I was reaching okay. way far back because <laughs> when you talk about when you talk about that's what happened to Beyond the Taylor, that's when the yeah. semantics come in. No, she was awake. Oh. Right. Then because Her they're basing it first. Yeah, and, they're basing it on on something other than universal application of law. I wonder what that could be. Yeah. I wonder how the right feels about those cops because you also notice when they know that they're wrong and they just need to shut up because I don't hear too many uh, on the right trying to defend the cops that um, in Mississippi that got, I think by now, convicted and um, for right. assaulting two black men there. Right. Right. So, I mean, they know they want the rules to be different for them than they are for us. I agree. But they have to recognize you can't have it that way sometimes. No, I, he, I think, Daryl, I think at base, they see law enforcement as a group that's there to enforce their belief system, yeah. not as a group that's right, not a group that's supposed to apply law universally. So the reason the left wants to reform the police is for a whole different reason, set of reasons than the right is saying defund FBI and, and is calling them Antifa. It's just not the same. Yeah, we're, we're not just out there trying to um, call attention to the police because um, because we don't want them to come after us because of um, whatever beliefs we hold or whatever, right. what have you. We just want them, them to stop being racist jackasses. Except, well, more to the point, however, <laughs> they're supposed to be protecting us. We're supposed right. to be able to rely on the right. police. If we cannot rely on the police, much like this political process that is a mess right now, we need to find something else. Else. Yeah. I feel you. Nonsense. Yep. Um, if we, if we simply cannot do, if we simply cannot do that. And um, but they, on the other hand, are shocked, shocked that the police will come after them. I remember there was a group back in the day called Free Republic. That was um, that was the precursor to MAGA. Yeah. Back in the, um, back in the late 2010s. Oh, yeah. er, way earlier. Early okay. 2000s and, um, and okay. early 90s, 2000s. And I remember um, when they would come out to protest, one of their signs was no tear gas necessary. We're conservatives. <laughs> Oops! No, 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 no! How many? How many cops were on the beat? Saw that sign, and then twenty years later, saw those same people trying to beat them up on January sixth. Right. You know, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. If January sixth had been done by anti-fascists or BLM activists, there would have been live rounds. Oh no! There would there would have been live rounds, and no one would have been allowed to go home. Exactly. That's the one thing about January 6th that I can't get over. It's like, I know you actually let these knuckleheads go home and they killed one of you bastards. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, I mean what happened in that hall? You yeah. Yeah, they, they say that there was too many of them to control. I said, yeah, right. When we were, when, when we were protesting in DC, we get wrapped up in orange netting. Right. <laughs> Saying that we're under arrest. We didn't were probably weren't even protesting and all of a sudden the whole storm of police will just chase us out of Lafayette Park. Exactly. We don't have to do a thing. And um, Yeah, there's definitely it's definitely a bias that still exists. I think January 6th sort of 
has been a bit of a turning point, at least for federal law enforcement, not local police per se. A lot of those guys were involved in January 6th, let's be honest. But I think, I mean, you, you're, we're now seeing, you know, with frequency, the FBI basically saying the biggest threat to democracy are right-wing extremists. And that's not something we've seen. That, yeah, it's quiet part, you know, while still keeping a tab on BLM. But I think... Um, I don't know. I think I think the, that it's shifting a little bit. Like, you know, if you look at the data for every one left winger that commits some act of violence, whether it's hitting somebody at a protest, whatever or not, there's like 150 right wing examples for that one. I mean, it's just not even close in comparison. If you look at the data, not even fucking close. Yeah. No. Resources were never applied to match that. You know what I'm saying? No. And it goes back to what you were talking about before, how the right feels that the police are basically essentially their right. shock troops. There's something to that. There is um, something to that. Exactly. That's so the whenever problem. they do get jammed up, it's um, a shock. It's, it's a shock to them. I mean, I'm quite sure it was a shock. It's to a them. shock to me too. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a shock to all of us. It's a shock to all of us. I mean, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. We won't trust it, but we'll take it. That's why whenever you see us cheering on, um, cops taking them down left and right. It's not because we love the police. We just love that it's not our asses getting kicked this time. <laughs> and the asses that deserve to be kicked are getting kicked. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a pretty good show on their part, but we'll take it. Yeah. We'll take yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. We'll use it. All right. Speaking of Charlottesville, we've been talking about that a little bit. Let's talk about that a little bit more. So we are now at the sixth anniversary of Charlottesville Unite the Right rally. This was obviously, for folks that don't know, um, big white supremacist neo-Nazi rally where Heather Heyer was killed. You had, you know, every freaking Nazi group under the sun was there participating. Daryl, you were there uh, counter-protesting. I wanted to pull up the Ignite the Right website. This was a group that that was started last year that is basically trying to research uh, the remaining identities of some of the Nazis that were involved in some of the violence there. So they formed this website last year. Um, so I wanted to pull this up. This is their one year in review post that they put out this morning. A year in review, coalition of anti-fascists ensure that participants of the deadly Unite the Right rally are still being identified. Uh, this week marks the sixth anniversary of Unite the Right, the deadly white supremacist rally that was held in Charlottesville, Virginia in the summer of 2017. This week also marks the one year anniversary of, of Ignite the Right, a project spearheaded by a coalition of anti-fascist researchers intent on making sure every last participant is publicly identified and held accountable. While many participants in the violent white supremacist rally had been identified by various anti-fascist collectives and volunteers by the time Ignite the Right launched last year, there were still hundreds who had never been named. Another issue was the identities of those who had previously been exposed uh, that were scattered across multiple websites and social media platforms. Those that weren't lost to time or to a Twitter ban, because this is a very real thing. Sometimes you look something up on your search engine and it's a, from a Twitter that has now been deleted, which is very annoying. Uh, so weren't always easy to track down. Ignite the Right works to organize the existing documentation from numerous anti-fascists into a cohesive catalog and continues to research, research information on new identities. So uh, since launching one year ago, this is, this is wild. Ignite the Right has expanded their database from 240 to entries to over 600. That's quite an expansion in a one-year time. So this includes over 200 new identities previously unnamed, 
uh, unite the right participants, bringing the total number of identified identify participants to 320. And those are just the identities that have been made public. The group has several dozen open files in which participants have been identified, but research is still ongoing. So I know I think you've been working a little bit on this project, Daryl. Um, what are your thoughts six years on? You were there. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, I'm going to just say for the record, um, if we really want to see an end to all of this nonsense, let's stop waiting until after somebody gets killed. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say this flat out. I mean, the fact of the matter is we had the tools to shut these characters down well before we lost Heather Heyer. But we kept on playing the whole um, ignore them routine. And that never works. Um, right. It just, no, you're right. It just strengthens them in this day and age. Right. E everybody played with these characters with kid gloves for much of my career. Yeah. And then they get a president. And less than a year after he gets into office, somebody is dead at a rally. And that has never been the case at any rally that I have gone to prior. No, right. No, it was insane. So what happened was, so what happened was, as soon as that happened, all of a sudden, things that we, people started doing things that they could have done all along. Stormfront got shut down. The Daily Stormer got shut down. Right. It's like, oh, oh, oh. So you, it's like, it's like watching Wizard of Oz and finding out the ruby slippers could have taken you home all the time. Yeah, all along. the whole time, and they didn't. Yeah. Well, well, well. The difference is now. Yeah. yeah. Is that the ruby slippers are still on our feet? We know they can take us home, but we don't click our heels and get January six out of all of this. Yeah. Now they're trying. To, now they think they're going to go after the LGBTQ plus community. Right. When they could not have done it before, because we've already settled this 30 years prior, and they're bringing back all the old arguments to try to play against a new generation. Yeah. And they're bringing the Nazis with them. Yeah, the 100%. LGBT, um, the anti-drag anti crowd, that oh, anti-trans crowd, they hold rallies, and they have the Nazis standing right there with them. Yeah. Do You're we right. have to wait till somebody dies at one of those things? Do we have to wait till somebody gets killed at one of those things? And I worry that that might happen, Daryl. I've been it at some of these will things. Happen. And the it rage, will. the rage of these guys, you see it in their faces, their voices. I have never, even with some of the January 6th insurrectionists that I've interviewed and covered, I have never seen such intense rage that I've seen from some of these um, anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ uh, folks at these school board meetings. Like, it's scary. And they tell you that they want to kill. Oh, 100%. At those school board meetings. Yes. They tell you that all the time. So it's about time we start basically taking them, um, taking them at their word. Freedom House 1984 said, yep, it was their beer hard push, which is a good point because the beer hard push did not stop the Nazis. Stopping them no. there did not stop the Nazis. As, um, right. as Robert Evans said back when he brought up the beer hard push, it says they just kept on pushing. Right. <laughs> And pushing. Right. So all we got to do is just start pushing back. But we don't because we start getting lulled into this false sense of security after we push them once. And it's like, no, don't. What happened with January 6th? After Trump lost, everybody was saying, okay, everybody can just ignore them now. Let them vent and all that is nonsense. And we just kept on saying, no, don't do that. Right. That's why January 6th happened. Right. So. 
Are I we agree. Gonna keep on letting them do things until they actually kill somebody again, or are we actually going to um basically? Yeah. Have I'm a big fan of deplatforming. You mentioned, Me you know, too. they took Daily Storm or offline, whatever. I, you know, I'm sorry, but having a First Amendment doesn't mean that these people are guaranteed a large global platform. It just doesn't, nor it, should it. And a lot of these guys are very much motivated by getting sucked down a rabbit hole of misinformation, of hate speech. They're reading this stuff. It's affecting them. Like you can go on to TikTok and I encourage people to try this just to see what I'm talking about. You can go and within 20 minutes, you're going to be looking at some Nazi adjacent content. And I'm not exaggerating here. So why is that happening? Um, you know, and people that might be susceptible to that messaging, for whatever reason, home life they grew up in, you know, a host of reasons, they get sucked into that. And the next thing you know, they're part of this, you know, hate group. Mm -hmm. And I think basically what we do in that regard, we don't have to boycott necessarily. We just have to make sure that our voices and our, I mean, they, the way they say, they always say the best way to fight hate speech is with more speech. Of course, every time you use that more speech, that's when they come around and say, you maybe you should just ignore them, ignore that. Um, I think basically, um, take solace in this. It's all they got at this point because they can't be IRL. Mm -hmm. They can't, they can't be out there talking the trash that they're saying online and on, on, in this comment section, incidentally, and <laughs> we sometimes we get some trolls. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm used to the trolls, but you know what? I'm what I don't have to worry about them stepping to me in real yeah. life. You're not; they're not getting in my face. Um, this is all they got. You know why Jason Aldean said try that in a small town? Because we chased them out of every other town. So now they're basically saying, yeah, you can kick our ass out there, but 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 come here. Pretty soon it's going to be like, get off my lawn. Get off. <laughs> this is all I got left. <laughs> Try that I know. Here's, here's a thought. <laughs> here's a thought to Jason or whoever else feels this way. Have, maybe you should just re-examine your viewpoint. Have you considered that maybe your viewpoint is not only exhausting, but totally wrong? And that it's a much better place to be and to just not go around hating people? Well, see, here's my thing. When you're talking about um, small towns also, um, and by the way, Ferguson population, 18,000 plus. Um, we tried it in a small town. Um, yeah. When, um, when you're talking about um, small towns, you tend to forget that um, the people that you're fighting are actually from those small towns. My right. town, Franklin Township, population 60,000 plus. So... One of the things, and when you're talking about the kinds of towns that he is referring to, right. the reason why they're small is because they chase a lot of people out. Right. And they come <laughs> to these areas where they can be accepted. And they turn out to be in big cities, the urban areas, and they flourish and they grow and they gain some sort of strength. Yeah. And people see that. There's another song. There's another song called Rearview Town that they have on... um. It, it, it's a country song and and the lyrics go it ain't nothing but uh, it's like wipe the footprints off my dash tore off tore up those sun faded photographs threw them in the wind y'all can have them back i'm out of here suck my middle finger up in the sky flipped off that y'all come back sign 
looked in the mirror one last time and watched it disappear. Ain't nothing but a rearview town, broken hearts and rusted plows, roots ripped right up out the ground, never thought I'd ever leave it. Oh, and ain't nothing but it used to be population minus me. On the other side of that dust cloud, ain't nothing but a rearview town. The funny part? Guess who sang it? I don't know. I can't even Jason guess. Jason Aldean. Oh. <laughs> Jason Aldean sang that. It was a hit for him a couple of years back. And it was written by some of the same people who wrote Small Try That in a Small Town. Mm -hmm. So you got to look at Try That in a Small Town. They're catering to that crowd that thinks yeah. they can kick our ass. <laughs> and, and the bottom line is they never have. <laughs> no, no. You know, and the reality as we can show that. <laughs> exactly. And Daryl, the reality is most Americans at this point don't agree with them at all. Even the ones that are like maybe lukewarm on the fence or whatever, they, you know, they don't agree with them. This is a dying thought pattern, which is good. Um, but the bad news of that is I feel like this is also sort of their death rattle, which is why we're seeing there is an increase. There is an increase happening. It's just a minute one. But they are very loud. They're very vocal. It goes back to, it goes back to what I would say, what I said earlier. They used to run this country. Now they're daring you to come right. to their small town right. because they don't have the rest of the country anymore. Yeah. And, exactly. and they're going to lose that small town, too. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's I weird agree. to see a black and a Jewish senator in Georgia. You right. know, I mean, right. That's true. It's, it's eventually. I mean, come on. They're trying to hole up in Florida and in Idaho. Freaking Tennessee's putting out the welcome mat. <laughs> right. But that's as good as it gets for now. For now. I agree. Um, I wanted to switch gears now and talk about um, any closing thoughts though on Charlottesville and what's going on here. So obviously that work is continuing. Um, I know, continuing. you know, they've exposed this last year. I should mention this uh, police officer, professor, uh, you know, people from all walks of life. Uh, Try that in a small car. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at the comments. <laughs> Daryl, you're the best. <laughs> Try that in a small car. No, that's 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 somebody on the in the comments. That's funny. Um, all right. So American Renaissance, we just talked about is happening this weekend. I wanted to talk about the Volk folk movement. This German word for folk. So folk, folkish. Um, this might be a weird term for some folks. I think I've maybe brought this up once or twice in passing, but I've never really had a deep conversation about the folk movement. Um, this is pagan neo-Nazism, basically in a nutshell. Um, there's a also true folk assembly, which is probably the big, the biggest organization from this. They originated in Brownsville, California, which is super North part of Northern North of Sacramento. They've done fundraising. Now they're expanding. They've opened a place in Tennessee, right? Uh, a Hoff, they call them Hoffs. Um, everything is borrowed from um, Scandinavian folklore, which is as a Swede is very fucking annoying and pisses me off, but <clears throat> is what it is. Um, but they, you know, they're, they're pagan neo-Nazis. So we've talked about mainly on the show, Christian and Catholic Nazis, because that's also a big growing thing recently with Christian nationalism, but this is still very much a part of the conversation. So these are folks that believe, um, and in fact, um, let us pull up their website, um, Colin, so folks can see what we're talking about. The, the it's runestone. So that gives you an idea of runes, right? So this is also true folk assemblies, 
welcome website, you'll see a lot of uh, conversations there about pre-Christian spirituality of Europe. Uh, more, more specifically is the religion by which the ethnic European folk, which is exactly what that means, white people, traditionally uh, related to the divine and to the world around them. Um, further on, you'll see they'll actually just call it what it is, Aryan religion. So scrolling down, you'll see all of this. I wanted to point out um, that is the McNallens, uh, who is the, one of the founders there on the right, Stephen McNallen. Um, you know, so they're they're worshiping many gods, paganism uh, from Scandinavia, and they're basically saying this is this is the white, true white uh, Aryan religion. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to show folks too because this is crazy. They have a YouTube channel because, of course, they do. And not only do they have a YouTube channel, they have advertiser advertising on it. I was going through some of the videos earlier, Daryl, and you can see within these videos. Um, neo-Nazi signs like the Black Sun. Um, a lot of it's trying to make this look like pagan. Like this is a midsummer video. So midsummer is a Swedish holiday, probably the biggest Swedish holiday. It happens on the solstice in summer. It's a day that is daylight all day long. So it's just a giant party in the countryside. It is absolutely not an, a white Aryan religion thing at all. But that's what these guys are, you know, kind of turning it into. This was up in Brownsville that they had this. So... Uh, the reason we're talking about them is because for the first time now, one of them is going to be a speaker at American Renaissance. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that's because they opened the new Hoff there in Tennessee and it's close to them. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, you're talking about the founder, Stephen McNallan. Um, he's going to yeah. be um, speaking at American Renaissance. It gives you an idea of um, what kind of... Um, people that American Renaissance attracts. I mean, used to be a time when it was um when they was holding conferences in Washington DC a generation mm -hmm. ago, um they basically had um folks um of the political stripe. They tried to maintain tried to maintain a mainstream presence. They used to be yeah. um broadcast on C-SPAN, but they were a white supremacist group that wasn't being called one right. and they were open to uh, open to um folks in the jewish community and jewish speakers who would talk about how bad black people were like um and and no one would think anything of it because that was just the thing to do i mean the bell curve comes out of all of their nonsense i mean and, but and bell curve was right. amazing thing another uh, getting into the full-on nazism right yeah i mean it's now we're getting to the point where um American Renaissance is basically just a platform for folks that would have um, that would have otherwise not been chased out of American Renaissance, but would have otherwise been um, suppressed just a little bit publicly so that they can advance yeah. themselves. Now they don't care. And the reason why they don't care is because, um, you know, they feel they have some sort of um, momentum after the white house um after the um after donald trump i should say um, right but it's not really momentum as it is i guess a hail mary on the parts of a lot of folks on the right because they always say that this is their last chance to try to turn this country around as they would say if they don't turn this country around now they'll be lost forever and to that end you got folks like American Renaissance saying we're taking them all, taking you all in. Let's right. just see what we can do. And the answer is no, you can't do anything. Remember, you have to hide out in the backwoods of Tennessee to get over. Right. Right. Um, 
Uh, you know, part you of what go, if they had their conference in Nashville, they would have been chased through the streets. Oh, 100 percent. Nashville proper. They would I have think, been chased through the streets by Justin. I think Jones. that's right. But, oh, 100 percent by Justin. <laughs> by, the, by both Justins. 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. That would have been awesome. I would have been there for that. Um, I, let, let's talk about this a second. You brought up a book called The Bell Curve. I want to explain what that is for folks that don't know. Yeah. So the bell curve that came out, I believe, I want to say 1995, 1990. 1996. Was it earlier? 90, 90, 90. It wasn't the 90. Okay. Yeah. So the bell curve was basically the pseudoscientific book that said that they were looking at all of this hard data. It was, again, this was race realism, right? It was basically making the case that people were hardwired for IQ and that IQ was related to your race and that there was nothing that can be done to change that. It's immutable. And because of that, then, well, why are we funding programs like Head Start? It's a waste of money. We should just stop doing that and accept that this is what it is, right? So Ernstine and Murray were the two authors of this, um, I believe at Harvard, if I remember correctly. Um, My mistake, 1994, by the way. Okay, 94. All right, so in between both of our guesses. So early 90s, so 1994. I, I mean, I remember this book when it came out. And um, in fact, I talk a little bit about it in my master's thesis because to me, this was a touch point of modern science still not coming to terms with the fact that, you know, maybe race is just the superficial thing. It has no deep genetic structure that's meaningful in any other way. And we now know that that's true because we've, you know, decoded the human genome, but these guys were holding on to this. And at the time, and this is what's scary, at the time, this wasn't considered any sort of uh, eugenicist or neo-Nazi book at all. It was considered to be scientific because it had data or whatever. Um, Stephen Jay Gould is uh, the author that I mentioned er earlier. His book was a response to the bell curve, actually, The Mismeasure of Man. And he went after the hardcore science in it. So Stephen Jay Gould is an evolutionary biologist. He obviously has the chops to go after this book more so than the two authors that wrote it. And he basically destroyed the book. It was, it was It's a beautiful thing. I highly recommend this book. But um, anyway, it's wild that we went from that shift to where we are today, where now they're literally letting in the door to neo-Nazis that are saying the JQ is real. Like, so it's it's where the anti-Semitism anti and racism are together, right? So the Jewish folks are controlling the, the black and brown folks to do their bidding and they're coming mm -hmm. after the white folks. I mean, I mean, this, I, this might sound crazy to some folks, but this is basically the baseline for a lot of the conspiracies, conspiracies and ideas that they put forth at these things. Um. But I would say that that very much limits their audience, which is probably a good thing. But I would say that Jared, Jared Taylor, who is the, the guy that started American Ren Renaissance, he sees himself as still a scientist of sorts, I, at least in the very least an intellectual. And uh, obviously that's not I'll the case. Fair, he doesn't consider himself, I don't think he considers himself to be a scientist, but I believe okay. I he considers like... himself to be a student of the scientist. Oh, okay. Fair. Right. I mean, I mean okay, I'll be I got fair you. in that regard, but... Uh, I mean, okay. because he's a writer. That's yeah. that's his thing. He is he is a writer. He is a real journalist. So I'll, I'll give him that. Having said that, he can really just kick rocks. But, he can really um, just kick rocks. Like if you ask him if he's anti-Semitic, he says no. But yet here he is sharing space with individuals that are incredibly anti-Semitic. And I will say this as as someone with Jewish heritage. I believe that he invited those people into American Renaissance originally because mm -hmm. he thought it gave him cover for his racist ideas. And it quite frankly, well, it did. And that's shameful. Had, 
Well, this is what I was talking about, how they were suppressed. They were not ejected from American Renaissance back in the day. I mean, right. back in 2000, when I went to my first American Renaissance conference, I literally ran into David Duke. And David Duke, <laughs> a couple of years after that, um, tried to pull the JQ crap on, um, on American Renaissance. Michael Hart, a Jewish, um, a, a Jewish white supremacist, got pissed off and walked out <laughs> because... Because he said he sullied the conference. Yeah. Bro, these are who your people are. I these it kills me. It's like, so what are you Michael talking Hart about? Was, is a trip. Michael Hart is Michael, a you're an idiot. Trip. Yeah, he's an idiot. But Stephen Miller, we can they, these folks do exist, and it just blows my mind because they're just giving cover to people that want them dead. And I don't it's know amazing. how they it, it's amazing to me. Michael Hart is a guy who will hate on everybody on the planet. But the minute somebody says something about his people, Jewish people, he feels that he needs he should be outraged that somebody would do that. You phony son of a bitch. I, I, bingo. That nothing you say no more. You say, that's the that's the best way to describe it. All right. Um Colin, can you pull up the Southern Poverty Law Center article on new vocish? Um this is new folkism, folkism, folk. Like get like it's really sad that they use folk because I like to use the word you know, folks instead of people, but and then you got this stuff going. All right. Top takeaways. I wanted to bring this up because it talks about how this particular AFU movement is growing um, from 2021 to 2022. The number of active neo vokish hate groups increased from 38 in 2022 uh, to 38 from 32 in 2021. The Asa True Folk Assembly, AFA, the largest new vokish group in the country, accounted for all of this increase, rising to 31 from 24. This is likely due to the opening of a new Hoff in White Springs, Florida, or a meeting place called Nordshoff in August of 2022. Um, in 2022, neo-focused adherents focused on issues that animated the broader American right, including critical race theory and anti-COVID-19 vaccine conspiracy theories. As much of neo-vokish ideology centers on misplaced fears about the replacement of white people, many hate groups focused on homeschooling. This is the scary part in 2022. This is particularly true with the AFA because they have absolutely started a homeschooling program um, as a means to disrupt the flow of accurate educational information about the history of racism and iterations of structural oppression in the United States. Many adherents to the neo-vokish ideology also latched onto conspiracy theories about safety, inoculation, measures against the COVID-19 pandemic, being aimed at controlling and ultimately suppressing white people. Like other hate group members, neo-vokish adherents opportunistically harness conspiracy theories to avoid contributing to an equitable, multiracial uh, democracy. And we've talked about this. Um, COVID-19 vaccines, anti-vaxxers, this was used as a wedge issue to sort of red pill and bring people into these extremist movements. In September 2022, the AFA opened the As uh, True Academy homeschool curriculum beginning with kindergarten. By the end of the 22-23 school year, ordained clergyman or Gothi, Rob Stam, the headmaster of the Asatruk Academy, stated that it would have grades K through three ready for homeschooling curriculum with plans to develop a complete K through 12 program. All right. <laughs> we get enough of that. I mean, it sort of it reminds me of, of Moms for Liberty using that Adolf Hitler quote about having, if you have the youth, you have the future. I mean, that's exactly what these folks believe, right? They want to, you know, we did an episode on the Nazi homeschooling that was going on the Telegram channel. And some of that I know came, some of that programs, uh, some of the 
not the programs, the uh, worksheets and whatnot that they were using and showing the kids came from the AFA. And it was literal like swastika, connect the dots and whatnot, some scary stuff. Yeah, I mean, are we, I mean, honestly, are we surprised at this? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I, I don't even care to this stuff anymore. I mean, it's just basically, hey, the only thing that you know to do is just, you know, be prepared for it and be and figure out how to handle it when it comes because uh right. i mean you you can definitely counter it <laughs> yes definitely counter it um also folks we are live so if you have questions for daryl um go ahead and drop us a super chat we will get to those uh towards the end of the show and make sure you like and share the stream uh that helps uh status coup and if you're not a member please consider becoming a member uh your membership is what funds our journalism we have uh, uh, Lou is going back to East Palestine next week, in fact, to do some cover up, uh, mm. cover up, follow on reporting of what's mm. going on there. So we'll Beautiful. be funding that yeah. trip. Yeah, we've been spending some time there. I was just in Atlanta as well. So, you know, this stuff costs money. So please consider becoming a member for uh, five bucks a month. All right. Uh, paganism versus Catholic Christian identity. Um, Catholic Christian identity. Yeah, so we have Nazis on both sides of the spectrum what? here, right? Are, are we so- talk- Wait, stop, stop, stop. How- no, <laughs> are we talking about, now, I just want to be sure here. When you say Catholic Christian identity, are you talking about Catholics who are adopting the Christian identity religion? Or just oh, Catholic no, Church? like the order, you mean? Like the order? No, yeah. I just, oh, okay, that's a good question. Um, no, I, I mean, it could be. Yes, they're part of that group. I hope I not. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, I mean, so for folks that don't know what we're talking about, we should probably explain that. So this was a group that actually believed that um, Jesus Christ, because if you're a Nazi and you're uh, a Christian or a Catholic, you have to sort of come to terms with the fact that Jesus Christ was a Jew or you don't. You just decide that he's that he's from Satan and that he was never a Jew. <laughs> so that's that group. Um, putting them aside, though, like I'm talking about guys like Reupers, like Nick Fuentes, um, you know, Christian nationalists that, uh, you know, partake in Nazi ideology, but also are hyper religious. Um, some of the Rise Above movement guys, you see them having a lot of um, Catholicism, you know, mixed in with their their racist beliefs. So I feel like it's really wild to me how you've got, you know, AFA groups like that that are very much into their pagan religion and embrace the Nazi. And then you have the folks that are super religious and also do the same thing. Do, do these groups ever get together over a common interest and that's their racist belief system or no? Yes. Like, yes. That's really what ultimately that's what they will do. Is that um, That's what supersedes I, both of I these. Mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, at least publicly. At least publicly, they are going to get into the fights, um, ideological fights, um, every now and again. But overall, um, you're going to um, you, you're going to see them basically unite around this. Hell, Charlottesville was called um, "Unite the Right" in the first place. So, right. Um, and you had not- groups from both there. You're right. That would, that's definitely the truth. Yeah. So it's the let's not be let's not be surprised about um them getting together i mean and don't be surprised if nazis consider themselves to be christians 
Right. Because, a lot of them do. That, yeah. That's the thing. A lot of them do. And it's 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 so funny. I just see these two succinctly different different religious, you know, that should be at loggerheads, but they have this Nazi ideology that ties them together. All I so, got to say is remember <laughs> Father Charles Coughlin. Mm, mm. Remember that. Look him up. <laughs> He's the Catholic Nazi guy, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, traditional. Probably wouldn't have considered himself to be a Nazi, but hey, here we are. I. But a lot of Nazis don't consider themselves to be Nazis. I mean, exactly. if you're if you have blood and soil tat or blood and uh, soil or blood and honor or any of those iterations tattooed across your chest, you're probably a Nazi. If you're doing Sig Heils, you're probably a Nazi. Hey. If you're holding up a flag with the black sun. Also got to remember that a lot of folks um, talk like that, try to play um, both sides there because um, they know in this day and age, they'll get in trouble for being identified as a Nazi or as a racist in general. That's how come they, um, that's how come they do all these silly little tap dancing saying that we're not this, we're not that, but you are some kind of nonsense. It's like, no, man. No, you are. And then if you get into their private chats and they they think nobody's listening that shouldn't be in there, then you see it firsthand. I mean, I've seen like some of these Proud Boy chats where they're private, the private ones, and they absolutely <laughs> they're letting oh, no, it all some out. Telegram chat. There's some Telegram chats. That's what I'm talking about. Telegram. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, there's some Telegram chats where they would go off. I mean, I saw one going after um John Stewart. Mm. Oh, I had to actually ask. I mean, speaking of Moms for Liberty. Um, there's a Moms for Liberty chat that keeps on uh, on Telegram that keeps on yeah. hyping up um, Patriot Front and the um, and the National right. Justice Party, which Patriot Front literally is a front for. Right. And I had to hit up Moms for Liberty. They said you guys are about this, and the founder Tino Draskovich actually had to email us back and say, "Uh, no, this is not us," and all this. Like, okay. Well, I mean, do they not know who Patriot Front is? I mean. I, I don't care whether they do or doesn't, didn't, but um, fact of the matter is I wanted to just make sure that um, I want to get their thing on the record. And they said that isn't our Telegram account. We don't have a Telegram account. Oh, they're, they're saying somebody's using their name? Whatever. Uh, interesting. Okay. Huh. Mm. I mean, that could be true, or they could just be lying. Hey, I'm just going by what they say. I didn't say whether or not I believed it. I, I mean, right. it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, after all the other shit that they've done, how dare right. they say that they're Nazis? I know, I know right? I mean, come they, on. Have... they quoted Hitler in one of their newsletters. Exactly. Okay. So, exactly. I mean, you There's can't no... go anywhere else but up from there. <laughs> all right. So. So I know. And then when they got in trouble for it, they were like, they had their most ridiculous excuses. It's like. Yeah, they deleted and apologized and then had excuses. I just and had excuses. They tried to say, yeah, we were talking about the Democrats. No, you were not talking about the Democrats. No, yeah, <laughs> no, it. you did. Yeah, if you were, you would have had an article surrounding the quote. It was just the quote and nothing yeah, more. exactly. And it was really silly stuff. All right, so right-wing insanity roundup. Um, this is where we look at some breaking uh, cl- uh, clips from the week and talk about them. I wanted to talk about this first one uh, from Anna Perez. Uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, she's calling for a revolution, but also based on some crazy ideas. Um, let's play this clip and we'll talk about it. Okay. I'm going to cue this up real nicely for the uh, right wing watch and Patriot takes and all those uh, P- 
people that I'm sure are going to clip what I'm about to say and put it out there. I don't effing care what they think anymore. Here's the reality. The revolution was an insurrection. What else would it be? And what happened is people stood up against the tyrants that were basically controlling their every move. You had all of the, these, these intolerable acts. They were taxed to death over tea, over a slew of other things. Uh, they, they couldn't trade freely. Okay, they were living under absolute tyranny. And what did they decide to do? They decided to take up arms against the government. They formed militias in their communities and they took up arms against the most powerful military in the world. Are we not living under very similar circumstances here in America? Does this not call for the same, if not a similar response to that situation? Why else would we have a Second Amendment? They specifically put the Second Amendment in there because we didn't want to deal with, we didn't ever want to have to come to this point, to be quite honest. I'm not calling for violence. I'm not a violent person. What I'm calling for is for people to realize that there is a Second Amendment for a reason. You're not calling for violence, but you keep yeah. on bringing up the Second Amendment. Okay, come on now. You keep on talking about uh, revolution was an insurrection. I mean, there is nothing that she said that, that makes sense. The violence. It's not exactly. like you said, now we should have a cup of tea and among right. friends and discuss this. No, right. she did no. not do that. She and did not do that. Way, she is right where we are up, uh, up against a tyrannical government. That's true, but she is actually a part of the, of the how should I say, of the elite squad, of that elite hierarchy, that is trying to maintain that right. particular um, force that we are supposed to be fighting. You know who's really fighting against that that um, government intrusion against that, for lack of a better term, monarchy of sorts of the of the latter day. We are. Right, we are, right. We're the ones who are broke because of them. We're the ones getting shot by cops. Remember, they get they get amazed that it happens to them. I know. Because it's not supposed to happen to them. It's supposed to happen to us. So when right. you see what happened in the summer of 2020, that was an insurrection. All right? right. That right. was a revolution. But we pulled back because we also knew that we did not want to destroy the things that we had worked for. Right, we did, right. And we were mad because our brothers and sisters and children were getting shot dead in the damn streets for over a hundred years by a entity that was supposed to be protecting us. What they did on January 6th was because they lost the election. Right. And yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. They lost an election and all of a sudden it's it's taxation without representation. I come on, Anna. Come on, Anna. It's not similar. <laughs> it's, not, it's just not. Similar. And that's why she's and, and, and bear in mind, Anna, the folks in the um, revolu revolution. I mean, hey, we can talk all day long about the American Revolution and who was actually the good guys and the bad guys. And that will be here forever. But um, right. they couldn't show their faces the way you could. Remember right. that. Right. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right. Ugh, if enough he was of an Anna. actual insurrectionist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's that. You know, have, do you notice, Daryl, like all of these guys are perpetual victims no matter what? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. It's amazing because they always complained. For years, they complained about the culture of victimization. And now they're the biggest right. practitioners of it. I, I, it kills 100%. Me. It kills me. All right. Um, I want to play this clip, clip about Vivek, who is uh, running for the GOP primary. Ramaswamy? 
Okay. Yes. Um, because he's getting flack now from the Christian nationalists. This isn't the only clip I found of this. There was a bunch of them, but I, I, picked, I, I picked this one for a host of reasons that we'll talk about in a second. But he's now getting attacked from, by the Christian nationalists because he's Hindu. Satan is the author of confusion. And we know that. And right now, the, the, the battle is coming for the presidential nomination. And there's a man who is gaining traction right now as the presidential nominee. And his name is Vivek Ramaswamy. And he is Hindu. And those who are Hindu believe in many gods. And he speaks well. And he is very charismatic. And he says the right things. He says so many right things. Sometimes I'm like, maybe he is the right guy, but he's not because our God will not be mocked. And you know what? You know who he reminds me of sometimes? Barack Obama. Because he is charismatic. He says all the right things. Do not be fooled, friends. Do not be fooled. Do not be a victim of Satan's confusion right now. This is an important time for us to have clarity of mind as we are going into an election cycle. So please discern. Please use discernment right now because God hates those who who are willing to put, put up idols over him, and he will not be mocked. Amen. So what did she say about all those people that have Trump walking in front of Jesus Christ, those paintings that they put up? Huh? Right, Think about that. right. You know, it's interesting because um, I was actually having a conversation um, with one of um, the people that I work with, and... Um, I was pointing out, we've been saying for a while, you know, Trump is not going to even make the primaries. I don't, I I don't think he's going to get past the primaries this next year. And, um, but that means who is going to take their place, who's going to be there on top. We will get an idea after the Republican debates who they're going to be really going for. I don't think Trump's going to appear at those debates. Um, Mm. I don't think it's going to be Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis is radioactive. And I have been saying for, <laughs> yeah. for a while, I have been saying for a while that it will be Tim Scott. Hmm. Okay. Because Tim Scott, they need, oh, she's talked about Ramaswamy would be their Barack Obama. No, Tim Scott uh, will reminds her of Barack Obama, but actually, Tim Scott will be their Barack Obama. See, the Republicans need to start taking it down a notch. Otherwise, they'll never see another election, winning election again. Um, Tim Scott is good for that. Tim Mm -hmm. Scott can, Tim Scott is really good for that. But it was Ramaswamy that that they're talking a lot more about. He's the one that they're, um, that's been the center of attention for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. My friend pointed out, there's no way 
that Ramaswamy um, will win the election because those boomers out there who are still a huge part of the Republican Party are not going to vote for him. But they will vote for Tim Scott. Because Tim, all right, Scott that's I think that's Tim fair Scott. analysis. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, what you just showed speaks to exactly what she was right. saying. Speaks right. Exactly what my friend was saying. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, yeah. it wouldn't honestly. Darryl, I got to show with this video. I got to show with this video. Okay. Yeah, I'll send you a link to it. It wouldn't surprise me also because I think a lot of boomers in their brains probably conflate Hindu and Muslim, even though they're not even remotely the same. Yeah. yeah I've in seen the same. That. And that's our and, and and considering what the partition was all about, <laughs> uh, you're really gonna get your behinds kicked. You play that game. I mean, I mean, to be fair, we we've seen it, right? I mean, it sounds crazy, but I have seen this conflation made. Like every every brown Eastern religion is the same one, and it's Muslim, and it's bad. <laughs> that's what their brains do. And I would say, incidentally, because I just saw a uh, comment about how Tim Scott is barely scratching 5%, don't go by what's going on right now. Do it's not. early. Things could change. Let yeah. things start ratcheting it up, and let's see where right. we go from Joe Biden would not be president right now if we was um, going He Biden. was less than 5%. You're correct. I mean, he yeah. wasn't even... I was in I was in Iowa covering the caucus, and he wasn't even anywhere on the... Anywhere to be seen. It wasn't until the machinations of the party taking Bernie out after the California primary mm-hmm. day that that changed. I mean, it, it, it irked me to begin with that whole election of um 2020 because it was just like we had all these. I mean, th- this is one of the reasons why I get angry about the Democratic Party. You had all yeah. these potential um candidates, whether I like them or not, is another thing. But right. um, but they were not cut from the same cloth that we always um right. cut from. Right. So what what did the um so what did the Democratic Party end up doing? Find a way to get the old white guy out there. <laughs> and that is really one of the <sighs> big insults I think I agree. the Democratic Party ever played. Um, I agree. And they're going to pay for that in some way. I, I believe this because they they hadn't quite healed from the 2016 problems that they had well, created. Well, see, not not yet, because <clears throat> unfortunately, um, people still look at um, um, the Democratic Party as being their only option, to which I also tell I the um, those third party I crowd, agree. the third party crowd, we got to stop only hearing from you. And this is to the third parties out there. You got to step up games. Stop yeah, being I agree. Tigers. We cannot just hear from you every four years. Right. It's a little rough to try to come to the defense of third parties and independent candidates when we only hear from you when it's time to vote. You right. got to start showing what you got outside of the political process. Even you got to yeah. start showing what you can do and how you can um, um, and actually serve start the public. It'd be you great really to see start showing people how to how you're going to do that or just produce results. Otherwise, we're going to keep on having these problems with the Democrats scaring people yeah. into voting for them. So, yeah, um, show them that you're worth a damn. It's time. To yeah, I mean, Daryl, it'd be great if they spent more time running for local offices, too. Here in California, we have uh, we do have that happening with Independence and Green Party because we have a semi open primary system here. But mm-hmm. I think in other states, it doesn't really happen that often. So you're right. All of a sudden, it's time. It's, it's not, time. Come on now. Yeah. We got people um, running for school boards that should not be running for school boards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why aren't that is true? We have some cra- we have Hello? some crazy. It'd be nice to have people on the school boards that actually um give a shit about our kids. Yeah, 
instead yeah. of about the agenda. You know, you might yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, Proud Boys, Oath Keeper, we have all kinds of extremists trying to take these uh, school board positions. It's, Who are it's often become... not from the not from the community that they're trying to run for. School That's board. right. That's right. All right. I have one more clip I want to play, and then we're going to get to the Super Chats. Um, Janet Porter and Ohio Issue 1, this was the a recent Ohio issue that went down in flames that yes, was basically, which is good that it went down in flames. It was going after, um, you know, or making it easier, I guess, to create anti-abortion legislation in the state. But it would have opened the door for others as well. So I wanted to play this clip from Janet Porter. Janet Porter, if for folks that don't know who she is, she is a longtime um, anti-choice activist, I guess you could call her. She's vehemently opposed to abortion and anything related to it. But um, here she is talking about Ohio issue one. Some things are so important that they you can't just change them with with the, the, the one one who spends the most money that wins the a simple majority. Let me explain. Let me explain just my history in this. Uh, in 1989, I worked to pass the woman's right to know law. That's informed consent. Had a 24 hour waiting period so that women will get the information they need. Then, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> we passed the fetal homicide law. We passed uh, parental consent. We passed. Uh, the, uh, the the heartbeat law, <laughs> the nation's first ban on partial birth abortion. And what this would do, if we don't protect the, the, those laws with this vote by raising the bar, that means come November, if they spend enough blood money, they confuse enough voters, they can undo and wipe out every pro-life law that we have ever passed. Everything I've done in my life in this state, it will be gone like that. And suddenly Ohioans could wake up and they live in the state of California or New York or now what they've done to Michigan. This is what we're talking about, protecting every law we've passed and every baby those laws would protect, protecting children from having their bodies mutilated when they go to the public schools and they're confused confused about their gender without parental notice, without parental consent, because it says the state shall not interfere in this. All I got to say to that is uh, bullshit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of all the things that are not happening, that's at the top of the list. I don't know why they insist this is happening. There's not one single example of this ever happening. It's not no. happening. It's fucking I actually ridiculous. met her. Have you really? Oh, do tell. tell. Um, (laughs) I mean, I I can't recall, but I mean, I remember being at an event where she was speaking because at the time um, I was um, infiltrating anti-choice groups. Okay. And it's it's so funny looking back at the time because you um, ran into, you saw groups. I ran into a cell of the Army of God. The Army of God believed in killing um, abortion providers and um, and homosexuals. Um, I was also, um, but the more benign group that I um, that I infiltrated was part of a church that was pre-Vatican II. That was about pre-Vatican II stuff. Um, there, the pastor that I dealt with was the Father Kevin Lutz, who was on the list. It turns out I found that out a couple of years ago that he was on that he's on the list of a couple of pastors that um were messing around with young boys. <sighs> so um, but I met her at one of these conferences. I think Father Frank Pavone was there um at this thing, and uh, she really didn't impress me. She just looked like you know your typical um you know anti choicer because I crash these things all right. the time right. And, but hey, so unfortunately for the um, 
um, anti-choices out there, people don't like it when you tell them how to live their lives and right. <laughs> right. and and that especially how to how their bodies are going to be i mean this had this is another thing that was seldom you are not going to force people into going your way when we had made it clear we wasn't you talk right. about your fighting for freedom you're talking about um you're talking about making um society free for everybody and yet you don't right and people recognize that and exactly. as wing as ohio has gotten over the past few years yeah the ohio that i lived in is not that all all the ohio that i lived in wants is to just be able to maintain enough so that their families can be raised so that they can have decent a uh, decent living and all and all Ohioans are looking for that. All Ohioans want to see that. So when you threaten it, what BS laws that can just uproot what Ohio has been for centuries, centuries, let's right. say, decades, they're gonna feel away. And by the way, honestly, it's not just Ohio. We just saw what happened to you to folks, um, the folks on the stripe in Kansas, too. Right. So 94, 94, good grief, what's wrong with me today? 2024 <laughs> is going to be a nasty little animal. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I can't wait to see what happens. But this is another yeah. example of where we have to um, put their feet, make sure that their feet is put to the fire. Because the Democrats are already, already prattling on about how they're going to lose the Senate. They're going to get the House back, but they're going to lose the Senate. And it's like, come on, y'all. You're already telling us you're not going to try. You're already telling I us. I know. I know. <laughs> They've given up on so many of the small state, state legislated bodies, too, which is really problematic in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I add that to the list of things that I get annoyed with when it comes to Democrats. I mean, right. fact of the matter is last year, there's a whole bunch of um, races in the House when they were saying that it wasn't going to keep the House, that they could have um, that they could have won. George Santos should not be in Congress. They could have they could have investigated him and found out all his problems. Right. They didn't. They chose they not just to. Let yeah. That happened. Yeah. And now they want to say we're gonna raise money to beat people like George Santos. We already <laughs> gave you the vote. I know. <laughs> it's so frustrating, Daryl. It's very frustrating. It's uh, half the time you feel like you don't have an opposition party to this crazy. Or they're part of the crazy. I mean, I often say right-wing insanity isn't just for uh, Republicans or for those to the right of the Republicans. It can be can be Democrats, too. Um, all right. So let's do Super Chats. Um, also, as Colin's pulling up the Super Chats, I do want to mention that One People's Project, which is your nonprofit organization, you're doing a fundraiser right now where you're selling a T-shirt, well, I believe. Um, well, Antifa International, Antifa International, okay. um, has usually this T-shirt of the month club month thing where they hype up um, where they try to raise money for various organizations, um, various okay. anti-fascist organizations around the globe. We're August, and oh, okay. this is similar. To, this is the shirt of sorts. Oh, it nice! There it is. Okay. Antifa. Um, the Antifa International has a different shirt. That's the shirt right there. There it is. And okay. um, good night, can, white. Um, you can good pick night, white up. pride. That's great. Yes, and I wanted to bring it up in particular because of the runes. And yeah. I'll just tell you flat out, I'm just going to read this from our website. Um, Wait, hang on. Runes, I love that you put runes up there. That's awesome. Well, ma well basically, the runes say, and I'm, I, I can't pronounce it, 
which is just a really literal translation of good night white pride. <laughs> um, the person who designed this ran it by a native Icelandic speaker to make sure it made sense. Great. The style of the runes is roughly the 8-900 AD. So it's Viking awesome. age, Norseman age. It's different from the runes that Fash used, which are right, which right, were right. long dead before they were Vikings. Like, Fash <laughs> just does no jack shit about their heritage. Um, <laughs> and this image, the image on it, this is what he told me. <laughs> it's probably it's a, true. I believe it. <laughs> and the image comes from a big carved stone monument in Gotland, Sweden. So that's nice. where... Um, and you can find, uh, and I just want to make sure that, yeah, we definitely checked to make sure that the runes actually say good night, white pride. So go to um, go to this okay. website right here um, and you can um, pick up one if- uh, Bonfire, and, and it will okay. Do us, it will do us a solid. That's basically what I want to say about that. Right on, right on. All right, thanks for sharing that. Um, I love the runes, that's great. Um, Colin, let's get to our super chats. What, what we got there. Okay, Rick Griffin. Thank you, Rick Griffin. Um, oh, you just joined and became a member. Bravo. We appreciate that, Rick. Your your membership is what funds our journalism. And like I mentioned earlier, we are sending, um, not Colin, sorry. I don't know, Colin might be going actually with Lou, uh, back to East Palestine to do some follow-up reporting on the situation there. Um, so make sure you guys tune in next week to get that. Um, Emily, Emily Sigmund, us white people have come up with so many different niches and hobby groups within Nazism. It's ridiculous. It's tr <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I just have to laugh because it is true. Like, like Nazi hobby groups. Um, here we can have, you know, your underwater basket weaving Nazi group for women. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Um, what else we got? Want to Colin? See their cookbooks. I never <laughs> it's probably yes, terrible. I do have one of them around here. Uh ooh, that's um that's a that's a strong one. Circumcision is child mutilation in the name of religion. Um you know, wow. It's it, I, I gotta tell you, I, I always looked at I never it's only until recently that people have really started to talk about circumcision, you know? No one no one really um, said, had ever asked, was there, was this really, was this circumcision really necessary? Is it, should we do it? People say that it that it's, keeps things cleaner, cleaner or what have you. I mean, maybe that can be an argument. Maybe that can be something we can discuss. I, I do know that there is a lower rate of STD transmission. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, know that that's, but that's not why people get circumcised. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I guess that's why I am um I know TMI but uh but uh but it's kind of like I think that uh I, I think yeah I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with being uncircumcised I mean go for it I mean yeah I don't I, either either way I don't have an opinion it. On I, I honestly never thought about it I think that's the that's no, the thing I that a either. lot of um a lot of um people at large I mean we don't really think about it. And if folks don't think it's necessary for them to circumcise their sons or, or when they're born, don't. Don't. I mean, I don't think their lives will be any less productive if they are uncircumcised. So 
Indeed. Uh, Chris Garrett, I see, just dropped a super chat in. Chris is the OG uh, status quo member. That is OG. He was one of our first. Loving Right Wing Insanity Fridays. Thank you, Chris. Um, we're always happy to see you in the chat. You're a great moderator, too. Um, yeah, so Right Wing Insanity Fridays are like the awesomest, right? We have great guests. We talk about stuff that you don't hear every other day of the week. It's the one day of the week that we do devote discussion to what's going on. And not just right wing extremism, obviously, we focused on that today, but also within, you know, just basic Republican Party politics and often sometimes on the Democratic side. <clears throat> I think RFK Jr. is a prime example of that. So shout out to uh, Daryl Lamont Jenkins. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a while Thank since we've had you on the show. And I know our audience loves you. Um, uh, what else you got going on? Anything you want to promote? Your Instagram, I think, is where I, I'm not on Twitter anymore either. It just became too. Well, I, I, well, I am on Twitter, okay. but I think it's about time because see, if people want to try to stay, um, get a hold of me, you never know what's going to happen over at that place. Right. I haven't deleted my account, but I'm just not. I mean, I still talk. I'm still there. Okay. Um, if you want to find me there, I'm D. Lamont Jenkins. But really, right now, the um, I mean, you, I'm on Threads. I'm on Blue Sky. Um, I'm on Spoutable, but no one cares um, no. <laughs> yet. But yes. Twitter actually, I mean, unfortunately, right now, Twitter has been the most, um, the easiest um, thing for people to just gravitate towards. But right. thankfully, Elon Musk is um, He's ruined it. So God, it's become on. unusable. You know? Yeah, I just, ugh, so, I can't so even. Whatever happens, whatever happens with that platform, I, I don't want people to get caught up in it. You can right. find me on Instagram at D okay. Lamont Jenkins, which is also my the same handle I use on Twitter. You can find me on TikTok, Notorious DOJ. By the way, 50th anniversary of hip hop is today. Oh, that's right. I was going to mention that at the start of the show, yeah. and I forgot. That is, yeah, I love Notorious DOJ reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> there, that is something I put on Twitter that, and on Instagram. Incidentally, that's I did wild. Put this on Instagram, 50 I hyped years it like up it's because wow, because like um. 15 years late, August 11, 1975, um, Cool Herc had, um, had the party that basically ushered in. Brooklyn, in right? In, in Bronx. Oh, the Bronx. Bronx. That's right. Oh, shit. Never right. say Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do not. Can't, what, you're going to have to edit that out. You're going to have to edit that out quickly. <laughs> Whoa, baby. You do not. <laughs> that was a different universe in New York. You're right. <laughs> uh oh, I'm fired. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I I'll pray for you. <laughs> but but seriously though, um, it's like 15 years later. It was like the concert that changed my life, and um, and it yeah. was like um, it was um a hell of a show. I was at Hampton Coliseum in um, Hampton, Virginia. I was in the Air Force at the time, um, which meant I was a cop. And I went <laughs> to go see um, the following. It was it was Stessa Sonic. Actually, um, Daddy-O from Stessa Sonic, I, um, I was serving with his brother. Wow. So, um, so, so cool. they opened up. It was called the Run House Tour because it was Run DMC's um, concert. It was Run, yeah. They were the headliners. Wow. And it was their tour. But they had a whole bunch of hip-hop artists coming along with them. So they had... Um, that's a Sonic, then followed by EPMD, then followed by Public Enemy that nobody knew yet. No, right? And, yeah, and, that was and early everybody, on. Everybody just went nuts once they hit that stage. Changed yeah. my entire outlook on what I was doing. I eventually got kicked out in the military because of this concert. Um, 
DJ wow. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, oh and then Run DMC. Br brothers and sisters, I am here to tell you. Run DMC was one of the very first vinyl records I purchased. Mine's was, well, mine's was Woman in Love by Barbara Streisand. It was a 45. I don't know why. <laughs> Because that, but then I, 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 I quickly, I quickly changed course. Wait, and started wait. By, my next album was. My Do you next see how we just reversed stereotypes? <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because after that, I mean, I did get, I did get Fantastic Voyage by Lakeside. I bought that, and then I got Master Blaster, which is still my favorite Stevie Master Wonder song. Blaster. My first yeah, album yeah, yeah. was The Many Facets of Roger, which was Roger <laughs> Troutman from Zach. I mean, oh, okay. Boy, Who is this fun gentleman, Daryl Lamont? Okay, Daryl Lamont Jenkins is awesome. So, um, you are an anti-fascist researcher. You have been holding Nazis to account for three decades. Obviously, you do some journalism on the side, Ida Vox. Um, well, journalism is what was really basically the basis of what One People's Project does. Oh, Ida right Vox on. Okay. Newsline. It's founded by Ida B. Wells. Honestly, I just happened to wear a shirt that has her quote. Oh, there you go. Yeah. The way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. Isn't that the truth? Yes. Yeah. So, um, I, so I, try to, um, I try to maintain her legacy because we basically like to write about the things that people generally did not want to talk about, which was right. in her case, um, you know, lynchings. Right. But I have also I want to mention too. Skin. Your film Skin is on. I watched it on. Was it HBO? Who Who's running no. Skin right? You watched it on Showtime. It was on Showtime. Showtime. That's right. You can probably it? find it on the Showtime website, I guess. OK. Um, but we were talking about Amazon and I, and I was pretty much slamming Amazon. But um, and um, also the democ the documentary on Charlottesville, which was quite good. Um, all right. Age of Rage. Sort of Age right, of Rage, Age of Rage sort of was on Netflix. Netflix took it down that's where because I saw they it. thought it was too political. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's what I was told. So, um, <sighs> I, I mean, what was great about that is it sort of juxtaposed. You've had this ongoing beef with Richard Spencer, um, you know, created for years. Yeah. So it kind of sort of follows that beef and yeah. and it kind of centers on what happened in Charlottesville from that. But I thought it was a pretty good documentary. Yeah, it's usually a, a, a documentary that um, that you can find. I mean, people have been on YouTube a lot from it. You'll find it on. Um, well, the Nazis put it up on YouTube because they didn't want us <laughs> raising money for it, with it. But Adam 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 Balalo actually put it on his Venmo uh, Venmo on his um or uh, Vimeo. Vimeo page. Okay. Okay, um, good. I got I got to find that for him. I wish I had the um link. But it's still right. out there in the ether and all of you that. You can put it plug it into there's your search engine, a, it'll come up. There's also a new documentary that um student from Villanova had done. It's a half hour long and it's called um We Don't Walk in Fear and that's more about me and who I am and how I grew okay. up. Okay. Is that out yet? In it. Well, the problem with that one is well, it's not even a problem. It's just going through the um, it's just going through the film festivals and stuff. And basically, okay. what I've also been doing was um presenting it at various events. I was in Stone Mountain, Georgia, showing it while oh, also, wow. and okay. I don't have the books with me right now. If you talk about things that I've been doing, um, there is also um, two books that are out. One um, one called No Passeron, um, and well, there's um. 
there's a book called We Go Where They Go, and that's the history of anti-racist action. Okay. Um, that's put out by PM Press. AK Press has a collection um, collection of books called uh, a collection of essays with, of my um, I'm included in that collection, and okay. it's called No Pass It On, and it's um and it was edited and compiled by Shane Burley, um, okay. a writer from um, Pacific Northwest. Um, so you got uh, so you got those books to look out for. Right and unfortunately, on. I don't have either of them near me right now. So I'm okay. mad at myself for not having them on standby to hype up. I'm really lousy at self-promotion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel you. Music and, and, and yes, um, I also like to put on shows every now and again. Um, so you'll see you'll see some concerts that we'll put together at some point, I guess. I hope. I pray. So, awesome. Yeah, All right. So again, thanks for joining us, Daryl. You're always great to have on the show. I know our audience loves you for good reason, because not only are you informative, you're funny and full of passion. So thanks for joining us today. Everybody else, have a fantastic weekend. It's Friday. Go out, have a cocktail or a nice dinner, see some friends and enjoy your time off and stay off the internet for a few days. Recharge your batteries.